0: Well, there is a person who was a church member here and unfortunately has moved to another city but uh, went through a really tough time and um, got addicted to prescription painkillers and then ended up committing a felony and um, spent time in a state-mandated rehab facility. And while she was there, she met the Lord Jesus in a very powerful way and um, looking back years later, she says, although, you know, she, she grieves the mistake and the addiction and all that. She said, I'm so grateful that through that I have come to know the Lord Jesus. And it it says something about who our God is, that he is a redeemer and he takes bad things and works good from them. Of course, the biggest example of this is that cross, right? It's an instrument of death and torture. And it was so graced by our Lord that it has now become the most famous symbol in the world. And instead of looking at that and seeing death, Christians look at it and see life. Instead of despair, we see hope. For God takes what is broken and then he works good out of it. And I bring that up because it's not just big things like the cross um, or an addiction, a sin. It sometimes is sickness or something else that God will use to accomplish his kingdom purposes. And in this preaching series where we're looking at the Apostle Paul primarily and a few others' ministry, um, the Apostle Paul goes and preaches to a town because he got sick. He ended up moving in his first missionary journey back on shore when he had set sea uh, set out to sea across the Mediterranean. And I need to show you this on a map because it's hard to explain. So if you'll put that map up there, um, this is the Mediterranean Sea. And I know you can't see the words there. Last week, I talked to you about Antioch in Syria, right on the border of Turkey and Syria. And it was the a huge center for Christianity and it was the launching platform for all three of Paul's missionary journeys. It became the hub of Christianity in many ways for the first several centuries after Christ. But what you might not know if you don't look at this on a map is there are two Antiochs. The star on the right there is the Syrian Antioch from which Paul and Barnabas left. The star up at the top is Pisidian Antioch which is in Galatia. Now that's confusing but you know. I lived in Texas for a while. There's actually a Paris, Texas. That's confusing. (laughs) Ever been to Switzerland? Which one am I talking about? That's confusing, right? There's Switzerland across the river and then there's Switzerland across the ocean. This is Antioch in Galatia and what happened was Paul and Barnabas went to Barnabas' hometown which is on that little island, that's Cyprus, and while he was there he got sick. And we don't quite know what it was that the sickness was, but it was the sickness that caused him to divert his course and go back up north and get to shore. And he went up to this other Antioch and he ended up preaching the gospel to them and a church got started there. So later he wrote back to that church when they were in a, in a conflict and he says this. This is from Galatians 4. He says, you know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God as Christ Jesus. For I testify of you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. So whatever this sickness was, it actually caused a vision problem for the apostle Paul. And John Stott speculated it might have been malaria, which I guess can mess with your eyes. So something happened to this apostle and he had to go there in sickness and weakness. But as a result, the gospel came to that other Antioch and a church was founded there. And the Lord did an amazing work through something that was as bad as a sickness. This is him being a redeemer and doing what he does. Now, what you need to understand is the reason that Paul is writing that is because they have rejected him. Later, after he moved on, they started to embrace a different message. Another gospel, not a true gospel, a false one. He calls it the Judaizers. Or those are Jews that have come and have told them, you've got to be circumcised and you've got to obey the law of Moses. You have to become a Jew first before you can receive the Christian gospel. That was a different message completely than what the apostle Paul had taught. And so there was this conflict. It's, and these, these Judaizers were saying, the law of Moses or else. And the church got confused and started to embrace that. Um, now, let me back up a little bit and say, Judaizers are not gone. There are modern Judaizers among us. There might even be one in your own heart. A Judaizer says, you've got to get external conformity in your life to be accepted by God. Clean up your act. You got to get right with God for him to love you. And that is completely backwards. The gospel says he loves you and therefore you can work with him in transformation of your life. You don't ever want to get that cart before the horse and it happens all the time. But the thing about being a Judaizer is you cannot legislate morality. You can't put in place rules to clean up your life. They never work. And whether it's from the little preschool kid, and there's gotta be rules in the preschool classroom, but those rules never change the heart. They just bring an external conformity. It doesn't change the real problem. All the way to, let's say communism, which is trying to solve the problem of greed by getting rid of personal property. Does it work? No because external conformity cannot change the heart. But that's what so often is the case. And we do it to ourselves a lot of times. We think, I've got to fix my problem. I've got to clean up my act. I've got to do this, pull myself up by the bootstraps. I can fix this problem. Have you ever fixed it? No. Anytime we try to legislate morality like that, it doesn't work. There's tons of examples out there. I have a book called *The Unlikely Disciple* that I really like. It's a little bit questionable, so I, you know, if I recommend something, you know, weigh it against the Spirit and the Scriptures. But um, it's about a guy that goes to Liberty University from Brown University, and he's like super liberal to put a label on him, and he comes to a very conservative Christian place, and he learns that at Liberty University, at least when Jerry Falwell was the president there, they had a thing called the Liberty Way. It was a code of conduct that had a very clear list of things, like if you got caught holding hands with a girl, $30 fine and three demerits. And I'm not kidding, like it had all these rules of what it looks like to be a moral person. Now, it's not wrong to hold hands with a girl, Gus, it's okay. (laughs) But what they were trying to do was put in place a rule that would keep other things that are wrong from happening. External conformity, trying to solve the problem. The problem is actually in the heart. And so that's where we need to be healed. That's where we need something else. So have you ever tried to be a better person by putting rules in place in your life? I mean, just think of last New Year's Day. Did you put a New Year's resolution in place? How'd that work out for you? (laughs) Did you do it by your own willpower? You can't. You can't change yourself that way. And the gospel, the good news is for people that say, I need help. If you get to the place where you actually say, I can't fix my heart problem, I need help, you're a prime candidate for this message. You're ready for the gospel. And the Apostle Paul, when he was preaching to this church in this other Antioch, he warned them, he said, don't be like the scoffers. If you look in the passage, this is uh, Acts 13, um, in verse 41, he quotes the prophets. The prophets, he says, say, look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish. For I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. Now, this was Old Testament prophets were saying, I'm going to do a work and the scoffers are going to reject it. It's going to be so marvelous and so other that some will just reject it. And he even warned them saying, the Jews who read the prophets every, every Sabbath didn't recognize the Messiah when he came and they ended up fulfilling the prophets by killing him and thus accomplishing God's will by actually rejecting the one he sent. Don't be like that. Here's the good news. Receive it. Don't be like these scoffers. And so he opens up for us an opportunity here. Now, what is the message that he brought? Luke, who writes Acts, and might be prone a little bit to exaggeration, um, he says, they went in on the Sabbath and they proclaimed the good news to the Jews, and a number of them believed, and then the next week, the uh, It says this, Luke Luke writes, The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken. What message would bring out not just the Jews, but the Gentiles to come to the synagogue? Was it a message of, here are the rules, follow them? No. They've heard that and they weren't coming for that. Was it a message of, do whatever you want, that's true freedom? No? And those of you that have tried to be free in that sense and just do whatever you want, you know it's not freedom. It's total slavery. It's total slavery. So what I'm talking about is this continuum of legalism to license. Legalistic rules versus the license to do whatever you want. Both are a form of slavery. So what is the message that that Paul gives them? Well, first of all, he calls it a good message. If you look at verse 32, the one we started with, and by the way, we picked up right in the middle of a lengthy sermon that was recorded. It's the first recorded sermon of the Apostle Paul in Acts. We picked it up midstream, and he says in verse 32, And we bring you the good news that what God has promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children. Okay, but it still doesn't tell us what the good news is. It tells us that God promised it and then he fulfilled it and that it is good news. But it's this simple. If you look down at verse 38, he says, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. You want to know what the good news is? in Christ, you are forgiven and you are free. You are forgiven and you are free. That is good news. That's what we need. We need more than the law of Moses could do. I don't want to make the law into something bad. The apostle Paul deals with that when he writes this church later. Uh, It's very clear that the law is important. It's just the problem was it couldn't do what we need to have done. We need a changed heart and we need salvation. He writes, he says, before faith in Christ came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. And he goes on and he said, uh, just before that, he says, no one is justified before God by the law. The law can't save you. It can guard you, but it can't save you. It can give you an external conformity, but it can't change the heart problem, the heart condition. The gospel actually can. Jesus was raised so you'd be forgiven and free. Now, forgiveness. Here's what this does. This is for anyone who has a sense of guilt. If you're not aware of your guilt before God, then you're not going to be able to hear the gospel. But many of us are quite aware. We're, We're quite aware that before God, we are guilty. And we need to be forgiven. That has to be dealt with so that we can move on to the freedom piece. So, back to my example from the beginning. The woman who got in trouble with the law and did a bad thing and then went to uh, rehab and then went to jail. She came out of jail and was able to boldly talk about it. By the way, if you tell me part of your testimony, I won't get up here and use it as a sermon illustration without your permission. I have her permission. And she's spoken in this church very boldly about this. So, this, I'm very discreet with that. But but because she's already paid the The time in jail, it's done. So she can talk about it openly. The 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 penalty has been paid. The same is true for you. You can admit I'm a sinner and broken because it's already been paid for. You, You because God has forgiven you. If you were a Christian, you can then go to God and say, "Okay, God, I'm really struggling with this in my heart. This thing is not right in me, and I know it. But you've forgiven me. Help me now to live the way you want me to live." That forgiveness gives us a boldness to come before him, but also the humility to acknowledge I'm not right yet. It's not license and it's not legalism. I switched them. It's not legalism or license. It's right in the middle. It's grace. It is grace. So forgiveness makes it possible for you to go to the Lord with whatever you're dealing with. So stop for a minute and just think, what are you like? Where are you not like Christ? What in your heart is still not right? And I don't care if you've been a Christian for 40 years or you're not sure if you are one yet. All of us have parts of our heart that are not fully converted. So what in your life needs freedom? Bring that to the Lord. Confess it, sure. But because of the cross, you're forgiven of it. Your guilt is taken away. The gospel is for those who feel guilt and feel bound because it offers freedom and forgiveness and freedom. So, what would you like freedom from? Then the second part is, I believe it is possible to actually go beyond the external conformity to the law, the law of Moses or any other law you want to put in your life. It is actually possible to get beyond that and to become the kind of person who does the things Jesus did, to become like him, to be made mature in him. I actually think it's not for when you die and go to heaven, it's for now. If you read the scriptures, you see that. The expectation is that you will grow more and more into Christ's character. But it's not something that just like, snap your finger, I got saved, and now I got everything fixed in my life. That's not how it works. And I I keep pointing back to the Alcoholics Anonymous 12-step program because it was thoroughly Christian in its founding, and it works. Many people have broken addictions through that, that process. And what they will tell you is the first three steps are, I have a problem. I can't solve it, and there's a higher power that can. I have a problem that I can't solve, and there is a higher power. The same is true for anything. It's the same is true for the the kind of bondage that sin has in our lives. I can't fix my heart problem, and I have to acknowledge that, which is what repentance is. And then faith is saying, but God can, and I'm trusting in him, and I'm bringing it to him to heal me and change me and make me more and more into Christ's image. But that's only the first three and there are 12 steps. So then there's other things. And what somebody who has been in AA for a long time told me after the nine o'clock service is he said, we don't, we don't teach this as rules. You have to do these steps. We say these are things that we have done and we've experienced breakthrough because of them. So we commend them to you. Use them if you want. And so what happens is you start working the steps and you start to experience freedom because the steps help you do something you can do now in your power so that later You can do something that right now you can't do in your life. So maybe you can't break the addiction or stop the drinking, but you can go to a meeting. You can get there. And when you get there, you're received with grace. Now, we're all addicts to something, whether it's gossip or coveting or lust or fill in the blank. There are things that God needs to heal that we need freedom from. We want freedom from those things. And a similar pattern works just like the 12 steps. So you start to do things in your power. You get yourself into a small group with other Christians. You start to read the Bible in the morning, even if you don't understand it or don't like it. You pray even when you don't want to. And then sometimes you actually start to really want to. You worship because it's the Lord's day and you give that to him. And then sometimes you show up and the Holy Spirit is so powerful here and so palpable, you have tears running down your face. And you're like, whoa, church was good today. Church is good every day. You just realized it today. <laughs> That's what starts to happen. So you do these things, not as a law. You're just changing habits. You're making new habits and getting rid of old ones, and you're experiencing freedom. Now, what God does as a redeemer is he takes something hard or bad or broken, and he works something good and beautiful out of it. We're in this preaching series on scent, living the mission of God. And I could stand up here with my big pointer and I could say, Now, you, church, need to be a mission church and you need to go tell your neighbors about Jesus and you need to lead people to Christ and you need to da 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 da. And you can go away with a lot of guilt and feel ill equipped to talk to your neighbor about Christ. Or you can actually start living this forgiveness and freedom in your own life and then you won't be able to stop from telling people what's happening. And then your message will be so much stronger. You can say, Here's where I was, here's what God did. It was hard. This is what he's doing now in my life. And I'm getting freedom like I've never had it. The power of the gospel then, you can't be stopped. That's what happened in this early church. The Gentiles came rushing in because here was a message of forgiveness and acceptance and a new kind of breakthrough. That's good news. Amen? Amen. That's good news. So, seek first the kingdom and go live these truths. And our church will be doing the gospel ministry we're called to do. Let me close by bragging on you for a second. I, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm, we're testing out a parish survey to see how healthy our church is in 10 categories. So I had the staff in the vestry and the alpha leaders all take this survey. And about 25 people filled it out, 50 questions. And there were a number of things that came back from that survey. And one was that our church isn't just named Grace Anglican Church. Our church actually embodies grace. And the thing is, if you get the message I've just proclaimed of forgiveness and freedom, then you can welcome sinners into your midst. We can have people come in here who are really broken and we say, come on, we're all broken and we're pursuing God. You are welcome here. And actually people are feeling that. What we don't say is, you got to clean that up. No, no, no. You can't, you can't bring that into God's house. See, that says you got to clean it up before you get acceptance. And the gospel says, no, he loves you, he died for you, he forgives you, and now he's setting you free from all those things, whatever they are. Sometimes it takes a day, sometimes it takes 40 years or longer. But praise God for the good news that because Christ is risen, we are forgiven and we are free. Would you pray with me? Lord, it is so, it is such good news. And I thank you that you love each one of us. And Lord, we do give you whatever that thing is that is enslaving us. We ask you to help set us free. Show us what we can do to walk by your spirit. I thank you, Jesus, that it is for freedom that you've set us free and out of love. And I pray this for your your love's sake and in your name. Amen.